electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, live from the New York Stock Exchange front and center this hour. Rates and earnings, one going up, one going down, and what the implications are for stocks and your money if that trend continues. We'll discuss and debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Josh Brown, Steve Weiss, and right here at Post 9, Jim Labenthal, Jenny Harrington. Let's get a check on the markets. We are watching the S&P 500 very closely today because 3940, 200-day moving average. We briefly were below that, and we're barely hanging on to it now. I mentioned the move in yields as well today. The 10-year note yield, 407. So we are above 4% there. The two-year continues to inch towards 5%. That's at 492. So issue one, Jim, for the markets, rates. Let's start there, in which J.P. Morgan says with the 10-year sitting above 4%, we may see additional selling in the equity space. What do you think? Um, I think that's reasonable. Um, I think that's the negative side of the ledger is is interest rates, inflation in the Fed. It's still hanging out there. And unfortunately, Scott, there's no way to resolve that in the next week. We don't don't have any data until the uh, labor report comes out a week from tomorrow. That's the first look at what went on in February that will guide what happens with interest rates uh, in the future. Now, in the meantime, there are some positive things going on. All right, the economy, and I realize this is an argumentative call, it's controversial, but the economy looks good, right? People are employed, you see jobless claims again are very low, and that should keep consumption and profits high, and that's where the market sit is on this fulcrum between interest rates, inflation, Fed on one side, and an economy that's actually pretty good on the other side. Where I come out, just so you know, because you know I'm bullish, and the reason I come out bullish is mainly because what I hear from companies. And it's not across the board. But, you know, if I think about what Cisco Systems told me, if I think about what Wynn Resorts told me, a few other companies, they're telling me things don't look as bad as everybody fears. So, Jenny, let's stay on the rates issue before we get to the other issues, because Jonathan Krinsky, BTIG, looks at it and says, uh, the question, the sustainability of the rally Just given where we are, if rates continue to move up, you have the issue of just rates going up, and then you have the other issue of just competition for stocks elsewhere. Right. Those are considerable stories that are both headwinds. Yeah, and this is interesting, actually. So you know how we changed the the narrative from Tina, there are no alternatives, to Terra, which is there are reasonable alternatives. So it's interesting because where I stand in my portfolio right now is I have some cash. And I'm thinking, what do I do with that cash? And you know what? Cash is is viable right now with a 4% rate. And I've actually been thinking about preferred stocks. I haven't thought about preferred stocks in so long. But so this kind of feeds into if rates stay high, things like cash are viable, bonds are viable, preferred stocks are viable. Bond um, proxies are not as viable. Things like utilities, uh, which are down. i with you on that. They're down. I mean, look, look at utilities. But they're you know down why 10% utility- year to date. But here's why utilities are down. Utilities are down because the the valuations got to stupid levels. Like utilities never should have been trading at 18, 19, 25 times. That's not the way those companies grow. They don't have enough earnings growth to support those kinds of valuations. So to me, when we talk about bond proxies, I'm thinking about 
historically the pipelines, I'm talking about REITs, I'm talking about all of those. So I actually think utilities as a bond proxy aren't down because of the competition with interest rates, but rather they're down because their valuations got too stretched. And it was a long time ago that anyone was really in utilities for yields because the yields haven't been very high for a very, very long time. So I would just like, I don't really, I saw that comment this morning and I thought I'm not really sure if I buy that. Okay. Um, all right. Yes, sir. You know, Weiss, you got next week's jobs report is obviously looming large given what's happened with rates since the last employment report. CPI is not that far down the road. Another Fed meeting is in our face. And to people like David Einhorn, who was on with me yesterday, this is all pretty simple. Listen to what he said. The Fed does want stock prices lower. They've made that clear. Somehow they think if after watching the stock market go up, I don't know, seven or eight times seven or eight fold over maybe 15 years. You know, they think if the market went down 15%, everybody would feel poor and the economy would slow and it would spoil Christmas. And that seems to be the way that they're conducting monetary policy. Uh, I think it would be better if they cared less about the stock market in, in either direction, but they certainly spent a long time seeming to want to drive it higher and, and now they seem to want it to go lower. And the market, at least for the time being, is, is mostly cooperating. I mean, whether they want it to go lower or not, Steve, they can't be, you know, disappointed with the market doing what it's doing, can they? Well, actually, um, you know, I was fortunate to have dinner with a former very senior member of the Fed. And I asked him about that. And you know what he said was? He said, Powell doesn't care about the market at all. And for everybody who thinks all the commentary that the Fed wants the market higher, the Fed wants the market lower, they don't care. All they care about is inflation and jobs. And they right care now, about financial conditions, though. Right. Let's be clear. Right. They, well, they that, care about a, financial there, conditions exactly. becoming too loose. And one sign of financial conditions being too loose is for stock prices to continue to go up. And that's that, actually, sort of the point Scott, here is that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Actually, that's a minor consideration. The stock market really doesn't inform what we think of, what you and I think of and others, of financial conditions. What does inform it are rates, and what does inform it are what banks are doing, and then the whole shadow lending environment. So right so, but it's now- just one, It's one metric in the conversation that's relevant. True, true, it's one metric. When you take all the other metrics, it's sort of a minor metric, because whether the market goes up or down, as I said, doesn't inform what the Fed does. What does inform the Fed are numbers. And I don't know why the bulls point to a stronger economy and Cisco and other companies being resilient. I use the word resistant to Fed policy as a positive thing. That's absolutely a negative thing. The best thing for rates is if you see the economy really start to atrophy. And that's happening. So you can continue to pick cherry, you know, cherry pick positive reports and positive data, et cetera. But when you're looking at it, the economy is clearly declining. We're seeing that. We saw it with Amazon. We saw it with Microsoft. It's clearly declining. It doesn't happen at once. And the Fed, and the other thing at this point that this person said is that with what I've been saying, but I was glad to hear somebody much more knowledgeable say it, is that we have not even begun to see the impact of the tightening cycle. We're about to, and it's going to get ugly for the economy. So yeah. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that for others who, who I regard as goats rather than bulls. So goats are my preferred farm animal at this point. All right. Well, Rodney McMullen, the Kroger CEO, was just on with Carl and, and Melissa. Said, "Quote: The consumer is already acting like we're in a recession. So 
you know, be careful where you look to make your determination of how strong the consumer may be. Maybe you should look more in the grocery store rather than the aisle uh, of an airplane, uh, for example, because the whole thing could be distorted a little bit. But Josh Brown, let's go to the idea of the other issue for the market, and that is declining earning estimates, right? June of 2022, you were at 252. January 1st, you were at 229. Today, you're at 222. Okay, so then you, you need to decide, what do you want to pay? What price do you want to pay for those earnings? Do you want to, you want to pay 17 times that? In an environment where we just said rates are going up and look like they're going to continue to move higher, that's 37.74 on the S&P. You want to pay 18 times for that? That's 39.96. Maybe you think earnings should be 230, not 222. 17 times, 39.10, right where we are now. So how does that factor into the sort of the second problem for the market, declining earnings expectations? So outside of the pandemic, it's actually very rare to have one down quarter of earnings. Usually this is a longer process. And unfortunately, I think that we're maybe not right at the beginning of it, but we're somewhere in the middle and it's hard to tell when it ends. Uh, 94% of the S&P 500 names have reported. Earnings are down 4.8% for the quarter versus the prior year. Granted, the prior year was Q4 2021, which was an epic bubble. Um, so maybe we'll take that down 4.8% with a grain of salt. You had 76 companies, however, issue negative guidance for the first quarter of 2023. Um, only 21 companies issued positive guidance. So that ratio uh, is pretty negative and I think tells you that we're not done um, with, the, with the downgrades of earnings expectations. And that process hurts the market. Now you're at a 17.7 PE, which is just above the 10-year average PE that the S&P 500 has sold at, uh, slightly below the five-year average, which is 18 and a half, again, skewed by the bubble of 2021. Uh, so we're not cheap. And now you have substantial competition uh, for stocks in the form of risk-free returns. So let's take a look at the Treasury market, the one-month, the three-month, the six-month, the one-year, the two-year yield. All of those are above the previous 2022 highs. So if you thought there was, was good yield in the market at the end of last year, well, now it's even better. The 10-year is above 4%, 13 basis points away from the recent 2022 high. The 30-year is also above 4%, only 30 basis points below its 2022 high. So actually, rates now have accelerated and are offering even more competition to stocks. And again, that's against the backdrop of stocks being roughly uh, above the 10-year the, the, the average PE. So it's a very tough case to make that you want to just blanket be buying stocks here. You're not getting the earnings support, you're not getting the valuation support, and you're getting big competition from risk-free yields that, quite frankly, for a majority mm -hmm. of wealthy people in this country, 5% is A-OK. -okay. They'll take it. Yeah, which, how do you counter that, Mr. Bull Market, right? Margins are falling. Yeah. Earnings estimates are declining. Rates are going up. 
the, I, I think the simple answer is it's a stock picker's market, which really favors somebody like me, favors somebody like Jenny. I'm, I'm not uh, decrying Josh or Steve, but, you know, I really like to, to pick stocks, okay? And I'm thinking about this. You caught me before the show, and you may have noticed I was kind of in a chewing barbed wire mood. And I'm asking myself, why am I in such a lousy mood? We talked about it. It's because the markets are in this no man's land. But I really think— Is your, case, your bullish case is becoming harder to make? Is that why? N- no, because it's, because it's annoying where we are right now in this sort of no man's land of waiting for next— <laughs> week's uh, labor report. What's more important, because like, your I should, bullish case is being harder to make. No, no, no. Let, let me finish here. OK, I actually should be in a great mood. I'm looking right now at a typical account really? that's up five and a half percent. Typical account I run is up five and a half percent in the year to date. That's two months. And I'm not saying that's how the rest of the year is going to go. But I'm okay. thinking to myself, like, I should feel good. The reason I don't is because of exactly these conversations we're having about the market overall. And I would rather talk about, and this is what I said in, in my earlier statement, I'd rather talk about specific stocks, Cleveland Cliffs, as an example, okay? Four price increases in the last three months. That's why that stock's going up. You mentioned, you know, the aisle of an airplane versus an aisle of a grocery store. Okay, that's a valid point. I'll take the airline over the Kroger's, right? I'll take the Alaska Airlines or the Delta over why? Kroger's. Why, because what's, what's a better indicator of you know, what's going to last longer in terms of the consumer cracking? This is a great question. I'm sorry to jump in, but it's a great question, and we don't know. We don't know, but right now, every day I'm checking airline statistics. I'm talking about what what Rodney McMullen just said from Kroger. You see it right in front of my screen here, right? The consumer is already acting like we're in a recession. I'm going to disagree This notion that. that the consumer is just going to remain strong through everything is somewhat specious, no? How about resilient? So I went through as we were talking about To this, this point, like, undeniably okay, so. but this is a cherry pick. If you look at Kroger, look at, ta- at Target, solid. Macy's, good. Abercrombie and Fitch, fine. They missed by three cents. Kohl's slashed, er- slashed um, inventories, which means that people are buying. Wendy's actually had totally... Well, people are buying, like, dramatically marked down merchandise, which is why margins are under pressure and earnings buying. estimates are coming down. But they're buying. And I think this says, like, you don't need to look just at the, at the um, aisle of the airplane. You can look more broadly. And so I really actually have an issue with Steve painting this incredibly dreary picture of the economy because the economy isn't that bad. You know what? It's not that good, but it's certainly not that bad. And then when we hear Jenny, morning, that's the point. That, hold on, hold Jenny. on. We hear that initial jobless claims. Hang on, Weiss, I'll get you in a minute. Yeah, you always get your turn. Initial jobless claims, only 190,000. That's like really low. Generally, things are okay out there. They're not rosy. They're not great. And then that brings us back to, you know, to Josh's point, to, to Jim's point, it's a stock picker's so market. So what do you want to pay? You want to pay 20 times? Ah. Uh, what do you want to pay? You know what? You I want to pay 20 do... times 222? No. You know what I want to do? Josh and I were on together last week, and Josh said you don't want to play the S&P game. Now, I'll tell you all, I told you that in September of 2020, but you don't want to play the S&P game. So what you want to own are reasonably priced companies that have growth ahead, because what you're not getting from the S&P is you're not getting earnings growth, and you have no chance at multiple expansion, right? No one wants to pay more than 18 times for the market. So what I want well, to own... Had, you had no chance at multiple expansion? The whole reason the market went up to start this year was only on multiple expansion. Well, I think that was dumb. You know, and that's why when we were at the end of January and we're up 9%, I was pretty miserable because I'm like, we've got nowhere to go but down. So I'm going to cherry pick for you seven names from our growth portfolio. Disney, Aptiv, Marriott, Fiserv, Cisco, United Rentals, and American Express. If I look at their earnings growth for the next three years, all of them are high high double digits, right? Sorry, high teens. So you've got Disney that should grow 18%, 33%, 23%. 
I'm comfortable paying 21 times for that. You've got Cisco, SYS Cisco. You've got 24%, 14%, 11% earnings growth ahead. That's trading at, 40 t at four, 24 times, sorry, 17 times. United Rentals has 26% earnings growth, 8%, 9%, trading at 11 times. That's what I want to own in this market. I do not want to own the market. I want to own individual stocks that can give me earnings growth plus a decent multiple. Weiss? Well, first of all, you know, I've always said that. I don't invest in markets, I invest in stocks. Uh, but when you talk to me about three-year earnings, projected earnings growth for United Rental or any of those companies, I'd say, you don't know. How do you know? And my position is that they're going to be worse or not as good than you're anticipating. So you See, can't underwrite three job. years earnings. Jenny, I let you it's talk. It's our job to, to estimate. That's the whole job of an investor. Exactly. Is to and that's where, and estimate and that, with reasonable assumptions. Like, that's your job. Should I call back in at 1230, Jenny? So no, I agree. No, okay. no, she makes I good points. I want you to uh, respond to that. Thank you. I'm, I'm responding to it. That is our job, and that's where we differ. Where I'm saying is that the economy is declining, that it would be absolutely unprecedented for the economy not to decline, given what the Fed has done with rates and where they want the economy to go. And the very point you're making is that the economy rate's strong. You're cherry picking. Coles, how is that quarter? I can give you every retail if you're saying, and those are relative Bye. to, oh, Ken, Jenny, okay. hold on, please. That's relative to expectations and what the company says. So when you say, was it Macy's? Oh, they only missed by three cents. The point is, is the trend is down. And unless you're willing and what you're doing is you're drawing a line in the sand, you're saying, this is how it's going to be. So I'm not saying the consumer is going to stop spending completely. You got to buy groceries. But as Walmart told you, they're trading down. Target, I'd say it was a mediocre quarter. They're still working off the inventory write-offs. So you're not giving me bright lights. And the bright lights you are giving me are the bright lights the Fed doesn't want to see. It's not a good thing. I repeat, it's not a good thing that the economy is staying strong because the Fed goes higher for longer. The, the, there's a lot that Weiss said there, but maybe the most important thing that he did say is the trend is down, as I'm, I'm looking to you. And I, I, I just think back to their the earnings estimates, yeah. unless, you know, they're wrong and they were proven to be wrong. The strategists were proven to be very wrong, as robust as they had been predicting earnings. Now, are you going to assume that they've taken them down too much because the trend is not your friend, at least as earnings estimates go let's, and let's, where rates are, which which question the multiple? Yes. Let's say they're right. Let's say everything you just said is right. I have no problem agreeing with that, frankly. I'm with Jenny on this, which is to say, would I rather, it's a rhetorical question, but you know the answer, would I rather own Delta Airlines at seven times or a very high priced tech company at 30, 40, 50 times earnings? And we're gonna, we're gonna talk about some higher priced companies later in the, in the session. I'll, I'll just leave that as a tease. And the answer is at seven times earnings, I say Delta is priced for what Steve is talking about. Um, United Rentals, which you brought up at 11 times earnings, I would say that is priced for what Steve's talking about. It's not priced for the industrial renaissance that you've heard me talk about, which I very fervently, very strongly believe in. And that's why it comes down to being a stock picker's market. And, and can I get in on that? So when, Real Steve, quick, I want to when get you're accusing me of cherry picking, you know what cherry picking is? Cherry picking is active management. If you're not cherry picking, you're buying a broad index. I'm talking about so data points. I'm manager, not talking about stocks. Your whole point is to cherry pick. Your whole point is to find which stocks are good, identify those. And you know what our other job is? Is to identify mispricings. So in a Kohl's, for example, the stock market or the, the market had priced that as if it was 
dead. So you look for that mispricing, you say this is unrealistic given future expectations, and you cherry pick that, and that's why the stock's up 13%. I guess no, the moral no of this story, no, no, I guess the moral no of this story, Josh, Josh, is that it's gonna be harder to find stocks that potentially work in a declining earnings environment. Margins are going down, you know, do you wanna own, what do you wanna own? When you know rates are gonna be sticky, now maybe they're peaking, who knows? We'll have to wait until we get that, that you know, data that comes in over the next few weeks, uh, collectively, all of it. What do you wanna own in this environment? As you painted the picture, it's very easy to say, bonds. Well, listen, it's not only, it's not, right, so you're right, it's not bonds and only bonds. I'm making the point that, like, if, you, if uh, Vanguard puts out data on what the million-dollar-plus accounts on their platform are, are doing with their money, and it's remarkably consistent, um, it's about 65% stocks at all times. It fluctuates. Sometimes it's 63, sometimes it's 67, but the average over, like, years and decades that's what millionaire households do with their money. 65% on average is allocated to stocks. Now you take the good with the bad that comes from that, but that's broadly speaking what passive Vanguard investors are doing. Um, in a year like this, you might not get the benefit of the stock bet if you're very broadly diversified. That doesn't matter to everyone equally. If you work on Wall Street, if you work in asset management, if you are uh, running a fund, you care very deeply about being in the things that are working because that's what you're being judged on almost like on a quarterly basis. As, as crazy as that sounds, that's the game. Not everybody is playing that game. So it's tough to answer you um, and have it apply to everyone. But what I would add to the conversation, Jenny is right uh, that, that there are uh, – let, let me frame it this way. Small caps are outperforming large caps. And if you look at a ratio chart of the Russell 2000 versus the S&P 500, that didn't start last week. That's something that's now going into its third quarter. And that's really interesting. Uh, equal weight is doing better than market cap weight. When was the last time you've been able to say that? Look at a chart of equal weight S&P versus, versus the spider. Um, what, that, what that means is that there's dispersion again and that there are other stocks in uptrends and making new highs that aren't FANG stocks, that aren't S&P 100 global growth stocks. And that's a good environment for many asset managers. It may not be great for everyone, but there are certain types of strategies that thrive alluding, in this environment. If you're alluding to things like industrials, which have been around highs and some have been hitting new highs in the environment, can you count on that continuing in what may be a a more deteriorating economic environment, Josh? So, it's, so the problem is that it's not a deteriorating economic environment. In fact, if it were, our lives would be much easier because we would be able to start pricing in uh, rate cuts in, in the back half. That's the problem. It's an earnings recession. We don't have any sign that the economy is slowing down. We've got every once in a while, you're getting a manufacturing number that we don't like, or you're getting, you're getting a, an industrial number that's maybe not so great. But like overall, Nobody would look at the last GDP revision and say, yeah, it's a no, recession. It's now, no, it's not. No, it's not. Of course, hold on, it's not. Hold on. Do you, have CEOs, do you have CEOs who are coming out there and saying that their customers are starting to behave as though it's a recession? Well, yes, you do. But what is that in response to? It ain't, response to, it ain't in response to them worried about their jobs because there's no unemployment anywhere. 
So it ain't that. What is it? It's prices themselves. You're seeing trade downs because single digit millionaire households and below, which is basically most of the country, the whole middle class, um, they are in a situation where, yeah, it's great. They're working. They have a job. Everything's okay. But the prices they have to pay for things are forcing them to trade down. And that's how you see Whole Foods customers migrate to Walmart and Walmart customers migrate to Family Dollar. That is a real phenomenon. Yeah. Unfortunately, no, I, no, I, it's not okay. indicative of a recession. Uh, what I love about this conversation is that Jim is investing on the idea that the economy is strong. The bears. I wish we could buy investing. the economy. We can't. Uh, we well, can only okay. buy the stock market. Well, Jim is buying the economy when he says Delta. That's his version of expressing his view of what the economy says to him and the kind of stock you want to own. So there's the Jim. There's the bulls who say, God, this economy is unbelievable. It's so resilient. Look at the consumer. I can't believe the consumer's held up as long as it has. It's amazing. And that's going to carry you through to either no or soft landing. That's side one. The bears say, you know they what? Can't be- yeah, the they can't believe gonna, it. We the, did 20 the trillion econ- in stimulus. The economy, they can't believe the economy is going to break down. And they're, in, they're you know, investing or, or not on earnings estimates, which are coming down. They say, you see, I mean, how can you buy stocks? How can you buy that stock? Earnings estimates are, are coming down, and that trend's only going to continue where rates are. Obviously, the market can't withstand that. So th- that, therein lies the, the bull bear debate at its core in, in, in the market right now. Is that is that fair? It, it is fair. And the, I mean, well, absolutely. That is the debate. And I'll, I'll say something that's going to be red meat in front of a lion. OK, to everybody that maybe this time it's different. OK, maybe post pandemic, post shutting down the entire global economy, no planes flying, nobody leaving their house. Maybe we're still dealing with the ramifications of that in terms of labor hoarding, in terms of what Josh just said about balance sheets that are actually quite strong, no matter what revolving debt has been doing uh, in terms of supply chains and the bullwhip which is dampening, but is still working itself out. I know how stupid what I just said sounded, but I'm saying it. Red meat in front of the lines. Okay. Maybe this time no, it's no, different. No, you, you can't, because we got to take a break, okay? You, you just hang on. Take a breath. Judge. We're going to all take a collective breath. Josh, please. We're taking a break. Coming up, the semis are pacing for their longest losing streak of the year. Is now the time, though, to jump in. One firm recommending two buys on big chip players. We debate it next in our call today. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report.
That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right. So after that spirited conversation, we are going to go to Jenny because I know you wanted to say something, but we're going to make you say something else. All right. The move that you had in the market, you sold Foot Locker. Right. Tell us why. We just talked about the consumer. What is today and what will tomorrow bring? Why did you sell this stock? So this is portfolio management, and this is being prudent and responsible and taking your gains in a responsible way. You may recall we bought Foot Locker one year ago on the nose. And Steve, this goes back to the earlier conversation we had where you identify mispricings, and it doesn't matter necessarily you know, if you're a bull or a bear, but if a stock's mispriced and, and trading for way less than its future value, then you'll just buy it, right, regardless of what the market's doing. So a year ago, Foot Locker said, hey, Nike's not going to be as big a part of our sales, and the stock tanked, like down 30%. Meanwhile, at the same time, they jacked the dividend, and they announced a huge share buyback. So we scrambled, we did our work. We're like, this thing's wildly mispriced. It had an over 5% dividend yield. We added it to the dividend portfolio. Now, it's up 60% a year later. It's still cheap. It's well-managed. You may recall a couple weeks ago, an analyst upgraded it with a $55 price target. That may come to pass. But for our dividend strategy that has a 5% hurdle, we need higher yield. I have a lot of things in this on the short list that I could buy that have a higher yield and more upside potential from here. So I saw Foot Locker. I'll take my profits on that. I'll sit in cash until what I'm looking at gets a little cheaper, and then I'll add that and let you know what I've done. So let me squeeze in another one, too. I was going to do it later, but let's just play on the idea that you have about 10% cash, yeah. you say, in the, in the dividend portfolio. Yep. Uh, Unum? Yeah, Unum? rip my heart out. So you guys may remember Unum we added in May of 2020. Yeah, it's up like 200% since. 200%. And so this is still super cheap. If you don't need the dividend yield, you can continue to hold Unum all day long because they actually benefit from a higher interest rate environment. It's um, a workplace benefits company. So if you go and work somewhere and you want dental or eye, that's the kind of stuff they do. Great company, but it's done so well that now I've got an under 3% yield. And so to me, that's just something where I have to manage this portfolio. I have to stick with the discipline. I'm kind of forced to sell this um, and waited until I thought it was pretty fully valued. fully valued in terms of dividend. Okay. For me. All right. Good stuff. I'm glad I'm glad we got that in. Yeah, I also want to talk, obviously, I know you want, want to hear what the committee has to say about Salesforce and Snowflake, uh, two stocks that are standouts for the day for opposite reasons. If you take a look at what both stocks are doing, uh, one great, one not so much. Jimmy, let's do Salesforce first. Okay. The guidance was good. Buyback was good. Uh, obviously, the street likes it. You want to know why the Dow is up today in the face of you know what's going on elsewhere? Well, Salesforce, uh, you sold it in February. Sold it in February, about uh, eight, 9% below where it is right now. I mean, look, I, I want people to make money. When I sell a stock like Salesforce, I'm not hoping it goes down. I'm not selling it short. It is, however, now this ties directly to our earlier conversation. It is simply too expensive for me to own. Now, I hope that people who are in it, I hope you make a lot of money. But for me, I have to answer to any client, if it goes down from this price and at this multiple, which is now in the high 20s on a forward basis, if that goes down 10% and it's a mid-20s multiple, I have to ask clients, answer clients, why did I buy this? Maybe they're asking you, why did you buy it in the first place? 
Um, and that's a legitimate question. And it's not one that I'm really happy that I bought and then sold at a loss. So, I mean, you know, look, why did I buy it in the first place? Because as a portfolio manager, I felt I should have something in what I consider hyper growth. And I've sold all of my hyper growth. I've sold PayPal. I've sold Twilio. I've sold uh, Salesforce. I'm very happy right now, Scott, with what I own. But it is distinctly different from Salesforce. It is my stock summit picks, which are much cheaper and on average are up 25% this year. All right. So, you know, obviously Snowflake is going the, the other direction. Uh, Josh, I'd love your opinion of Snowflake. I think you owned it at one point. Uh, it's a very popular stock. It just brings to mind what's happening in the cloud, where, you know, cloud spending is, where revenue growth is in that particular part of the market. How do you view this? No, actually, this is one of the few uh, tech growth names I didn't lose money on. Uh, no, no position yet. Um, but I listened to uh, Brad Gerstner on this one, and I know he is still a, a very big fan of what their potential is. Um, but like a lot of stocks in this space, the potential is not the thing that matters right now. What everyone's focused on is profitability metrics and how sustainable a high growth rate realistically can be in an environment where clearly uh, enterprise spend for even technology companies, but for all companies, is going to remain challenged or muted at best. So it's not an area that I'm focused on. This stock's on the 52-week low list. Uh, it's not because it's not a good company or not an important technology. It's just not what's popping right now in the streets. So uh, I'm not looking priced. at it. I'm not following it. Well, but you are playing I mean, the cloud in a sense. Just you're, you're, exp you're, you're expressing your view in the, in the cloud, so to speak, through Oracle, I I'm assuming. Yeah, so yes. And Oracle... Oracle is a stock that is within six or seven percent of an all-time high, and I think this is a stock that uh, has really slept through a lot of the, the big bubble and valuations that we had in 2020, 2021 for these types of stocks. It just was not, uh, it was not even on the, on the map for the type of investors who were overpaying for cloud-related businesses. Um, but people are waking up to the fact that Oracle has massive cloud wins. Uh, obviously, TikTok is a very big example. Um, but Oracle is rapidly gaining share in the space. They're doing it by aggressively uh, pricing their service. That's fine. That's what they should do. Uh, but they're starting to get recognition for that. And it's still a cheap enough stock, even though it's been up that I think it's still viable at these levels. So I think there's going to be a technical breakout in Oracle. It'll take out $92, $93 a share and never look back. I don't know how long it'll take, but this stock is knocking on the door. So I don't view this as the same as trying to buy Snowflake here. All right. Gotcha. All right. Up next, we're going to get to the call of the day on the semis we told you about. One firm saying you got to buy two names, and they're popular ones at that. We'll discuss next. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
Welcome back to Halftime. I'm Christina Parts and Emelis, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. After big storms brought heavy rain and snow to California in recent weeks, almost half the state is now free from drought, according to data released this morning. Three months ago, almost all of California was in drought. However, officials warned that low groundwater levels are still a problem. Two Democratic senators are urging Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg to stop the company's plan to release a metaverse app to teenagers. Ed Markey of Massachusetts and Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut cite the company's previous failures to protect children and teens. Meta says it will have age-appropriate tools and protections in place. And in Turkey, rescuers freed a dog that had spent 23 days trapped beneath piles of rubble from last month's earthquake. Alex is in good condition, although, of course, he lost some weight. According to the country's state-run news agency, the effort began after a passerby reported hearing noises coming from underneath a collapsed building. Incredible. Scott. Yeah, amazing story. Christina, thank you. Christina Partsinevelis. Chip stocks, they've rallied more than 30% from their October lows. That rebound may still have more room to run at least in a couple of names according to raymond james nvidia resume strong buy 290 the price target amd resume strong buy 100 bucks the price target josh obviously nvidia is yours go ahead well look this is a stock that just i think uh was able to surprise somewhat to the upside uh, but estimates were very low. So the street wasn't expecting much. They got more than they were expecting. The stock had a really nice run. It's pulled back a little bit with overall tech sector. Um, so I think this one's going to be in a range for a little while. But I'm long. I, I've been long. I'm not making any changes here uh, because I do think this is not going to be about 2023. This is really going to be about the 2020s decade. Uh, and that's what I'm sticking around for. All right, so Jenny, in terms of semis, not that you own these two names, you don't, but you own others. What about what about this space moving forward? Um, is is the worst now behind the group? Do you think? You know, I I think probably, but I also think this reflects the entire conversation we've been having, which is that you have to cherry pick. And you know, we sold AMAT earlier. By the way, we did a rotten job on that sale. We sold it around 100, and so we were early there. But we added Skyworks, and um, and I think you can pick on Skyworks where you've got it trading at um, 12 times earnings and 11% free cash flow yield. They make chips that go into all sorts of communication, and they've said that they expect there to be 75 billion wireless connected devices by 2025. So you really have the wind at the back of Skyworks. So I think that's an interesting way. And I think you just need to be careful on what you own. I think Jenny said it well, <laughs> to each their own. I hope investors in NVIDIA make a lot of money. Josh, I know that's one of your big picks. For me, it's not something I can own. Whatever the thesis well, you is, did 50 times, and I did, and I, I sold it last year. Um, for somebody who doesn't like owning expensive stocks, you have a pension for buying stocks that you don't like. I, I uh, never inhaled, <laughs> Your Honor. Man. I never inhaled, uh, <laughs> meaning I never got serious with these. I mean, these, I, never, I never built big positions. And I learned my lessons. You know what the lesson is? And it's serious and it's true for all of us. Stick to your knitting. What God what you hear is what's going to make you progress further and be successful. Finding stocks that are not just cheap, but growth at the right price, at a reasonable price, right. is what I do. When you buy Roku again, I'm going to replay <laughs> that tape for you, all right? The lesson here is stick to your knitting. You remember I'll, that? I'll have an intervention that before he does. Into a bad that corner. was fun. That all right, coming up, a bullish call on a sector that is beating the broader market this year. It was Josh's sector pick in our summit. The debate is next. Welcome back to Fence Stocks. They've been outperforming the major averages over the past six months. The ETF that tracks the group gaining more than 15% over that time. 
And today's city is opening a bullish short-term catalyst watch on a number of names in that sector. Lockheed, General Dynamics among them. Jimmy, you own Raytheon. If you want to include Boeing in there, you can, but you do like this space. I do like this space. I'm thinking about adding some more to it. And Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman are on uh, top of my watch list right now. Look, this is a sad story, but the truth is defense budgets are going up around the world. And artillery and shells and ammunition and missiles are all being expended. I hate what I'm saying, but it's just the simple truth. And it's not going to change anytime soon. So, yeah, this is a growth industry for the next few why, years. Why do you choose Raytheon, though, over Lockheed and GD now? Um, well, actually, I like the hybrid nature both of Raytheon and Boeing. I like that. I like it. These are strong defense businesses. They also have the commercial aerospace businesses. So I like them for their dual threat. Josh, ITA, that was your sector pick for our stock summit. Yeah, I'm still long. Look, I think there are very few guaranteed secular bull markets in the world right now, but this is one of them. We are seeing uh, the rearmament of countries like Japan and Germany, and really all over the world, uh, budgets are going higher, and these are the companies that are direct beneficiaries. These are the best-run, largest aerospace and defense companies, all in one ticker, relatively low cost because it's iShares, and uh, they, they work. So if you're looking at the amazing charts of Lockheed and Raytheon and Northrop, this, this thing owns them all. That's why I'm there. And I am not a seller uh, so long as this China-Taiwan thing lingers somewhere off in the distance and the continued hostilities in Eastern Europe continue. Uh, I just think the headline risk is in your favor as a shareholder mm -hmm. here, even though we obviously don't look forward to any of the headlines that we're seeing. Sure. Weiss, why aren't you hiding out in names like these as negative as you are on the overall market? Well, a couple things. Number one, I, I, I don't hide out. I think I can generate positive return or I want to preserve capital. But let me digress for a second. I'd like you to know what I mean, Weiss. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, 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 I want to take the opportunity to, to agree with Jim for a second, which is I hate basically everything you say. But move on that for wow. myself. That's I'm aggressive, aggressive. Jim knows I'm, That's Jim great, knows I'm kidding. I, I love Jim. Uh, Can look, you stick I to the that, substance of the good, actual conversation we're having? Come on. Yeah, I'm, good. I'm getting to it, Scott. I think this is going to be the best area to be in going forward, because not only do you have to replenish what you've already expended, the threat isn't going away anytime soon. And as we bring others into NATO, that means we're allowed to sell them more arms, and we will do that. Additionally, you're seeing from people I'm talking to, you can see you're basically a, a, a redirection of the of the naval forces instead of the big carriers, etc. You're going to be lots of smaller boats, etc. So that's going to be good for certain companies. So I'd love to be invested. I've been waiting for a pullback, haven't expected one, but Lockheed I was in. I think it's likely I go back into it. All right, good stuff. Up next, Mike Santoli. He's here <clears throat> with his midday word. We're we're uh, right back after this. Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli sitting right next to me for his midday word. I got two numbers for you, 3940 yeah. and 407. And you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Sure. Uh, it's uh, S&P at the 200-day average and, uh, and obviously 10-year bond yield. Um, it's been interesting in how kind of low intensity the whole kind of grind lower has been. Uh, nothing has been really refuted in terms of the message 
just yet of the January rally. Uh, Ned Davis Research has this early cycle composite of things that perform well early in a cycle. And from the low in, in, in the fall to now, it's basically performed exactly in line with historically non-recessionary bear markets coming out of it. So hmm. that could be wrong. You know, we could be looking at the industrials and the consumer cyclicals and all the rest of it and saying, well, this is a complete head fake type trade. But so far, it's conforming to that story of stronger, strong enough economy uh, and that the Fed might have to kill it down the road. But we're just not there yet. And maybe, you know, in a a week from tomorrow, I guess, the jobs reports, the first real thing you got to look out for, I suppose, given where both of those numbers that we started our conversation are at. It seems like that will be the thing that'll kind of give the thumbs up or down to the bond sell off and to the yield move higher. So, you know, as I said earlier, the yield looks overbought, so to speak, on the charts, getting there, not as overbought as it was in October, November of last year, but getting there. So you could see it kind of getting wound kind of tight. Uh, and, and maybe get some relief on that front if, of course, it's not a super hot number for February. All right, I'll see you in a couple hours. Closing yeah. bell, it's Mike Santoli joining us here. Grade My Trade is up next. We're back after this. All right, we're grading trades. Jenny, you are up first. Bobby bought, let's call it, 2,100 shares of Uber at 2775 Should he sell or should he continue to hold? Okay, so the first most important thing is to know what percent of your total portfolio that is. Because if it's like 50% of your portfolio, then you should definitely sell it down to a reasonable amount. Like, forget the fact that it's actually going to do well. Um, So here's where we stand now. Where we stand now is it's up 34% on the year. Going into the year, analysts thought that revenues would grow about 47%. It was up higher, so you've got a decent margin of safety still in this. What they said last May, May of 22, they said, we're going to really focus on profitability. That will come to fruition in the fourth quarter of this year. We were going to see them this year produce two and change billion in free cash flow, four and change billion next year. That puts them at a 6% free cash flow yield. There's a lot of upside from here. But when you say that number of shares, it just makes me worry that you have too much to be responsible in your portfolio. All right, Jimmy, for you, Michael bought ExxonMobil 35 bucks, holding and accumulating shares using the dividend. What are your thoughts? Well, first off, you got to, Michael, you get an A plus, right? Because the stock has tripled. So how can we, we can't even debate that. But you need to think about your next trade. Now, I'm going to say two thoughts. You need to keep them in, in contradiction with each other. I like the stock a lot, but if it's up three times in your portfolio, it's probably too big in your portfolio. You can trim it and still hold the positions at 10 times earnings, 3.3% dividend yield, and and a lot of reasons to think that energy prices are going to stay high, but you can still trim it and still like the stock. All right, what? My dude should get an A plus too. Sorry. Oh, okay. Forgot that part. Uh, What? I got you. Weiss. (laughs) Doug recently bought Palo Alto at 148 bucks. What should he do? You know, it depends on your time frame. For me, I bought it around the same level, a couple points higher, and I exited because it's just such a great trade in a compressed period of time. I actually believe the company will do well over the next few years, and for just the average investor, frankly, I wouldn't try to trade around you. I would just stay there while I pay taxes. All right. Thanks for the trades. Uh, Thanks for the grades. Final trades are next. All right, closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern today. Dan Greenhouse will join me, Stephanie Link as well. And we have a very special guest from J.P. Morgan's trading desk. Just dropped a new note, the most important number on the S&P that you need to watch right now more than any other. It's not the 200-day moving average, by the way. But you don't want to miss that conversation in just a couple hours' time on closing bell. Let's do final trades here. Steve Weiss, what do you got? 
Rivian, I pressed my short uh, after they reported yesterday. I still believe this is a sub $10 stock. Okay, thank you. Uh, Josh Brown. Staying long the ITA. All right, aerospace and defense. Thank you very much. Jenny Harrington. Pioneer. They reported earnings last week, and they said if crude stays at 80, they, they'll pay out $20 of dividends. At 60, they, they'll pay out 10. So basically, you've got between, sorry, 11. So basically, you've got between a 5 and a 10% dividend yield ahead. Had the reports about some M&A uh, swirling around. I think those are debunked at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we'll see. Uh, Farmer Jim. Cleveland Cliffs, I know I mentioned it earlier, but I just want to run this I want to run this down. I talked about prices going up, fourth price increase in about three months. Volumes are going up. You look at auto sales, you see that. Costs to produce for them are going down. CapEx is going down. I mean, that's a pretty powerful recipe for good profits and good share price growth. All right, good stuff. So we're going to watch that S&P closely, 39.48. We're above the 200-day. Got to keep your eye on yields, obviously, as well. Bottom of your screen there. I'll see you on Closing Bell to walk you right up to the end. The exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.